We are facing a worldview crisis in the church today. What is that crisis and how is it impacting our children and youth? Special guest is joining me uh, on the program today to answer these questions on today's episode of Kingdom Currents. Welcome to Kingdom Currents Podcast. My name is Glenn Schultz, your host, and today I'm excited to have a special guest join me to look at today's worldview crisis. My guest is Dr. George Barna. Dr. Barna, welcome to Kingdom Currents. Thanks, Glenn. Good to be with you. Dr. Barna and I have had the privilege of speaking at several VIP worldview conferences over the years and uh, that are conducted in various venues across the country, sponsored by Precept Marketing and Bob Jones Press. Uh, today, we're at the Magnificent Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Dr. Barner, you've given your life to study the church and report on its conditions. Share with the listeners what you've been doing the past few years concerning biblical worldview. Well, a few years back, before all the pandemic stuff happened, uh, I joined forces with Arizona Christian University, the reason being that they are a worldview development university. That's really important to me. Uh, I'm obviously in the the last years of my ministry. I don't know how long it'll go on, but you know I want to finish well, and that means that I have to do what matters the most. And to me, that's all about worldview and worldview development. So through ACU, we started something called the Cultural Research Center, where we do national studies trying to understand what's happening with people's worldview. So we have an annual survey, the American Worldview Inventory, where we take a look at the population at large. And then we do additional surveys where we look at specialized populations, pastors, parents, teenagers, adolescents, all kinds of different groups trying to understand exactly what do people believe, how are they putting that into practice, and what are the implications of all that for our culture. Well, you know, from your current research, if you had to just hit some of the most shocking findings that you found about the worldview in the United States, especially as it relates to Christian parents and and pastors. Yeah, there are a lot of things we could talk about. You know, maybe the, the biggest picture item would be the national incidence of biblical worldview. We know that a majority of Americans think they have a biblical worldview, When we actually go about studying it, what we discover is that currently only 4% of adults have a biblical worldview. When we think about the parents of children under the age of 13, it's only 2%. And, of course, the dramatic implication there is you can't give what you don't have. So even if most parents wanted their children to have a biblical worldview, which, by the way, is not the case, but if they did want that, they wouldn't have it to give. So a lot of people say, well, that's okay. The local church can cover for them. And the sad news there is in all likelihood it can't because we know that among all pastors across the country of Christian churches, only 37% have a biblical worldview. That's only about one out of three pastors. Now, if you break it down and you look at the different types of pastors, senior pastor, associate, teaching, executive, children's, etc., One of the saddest findings of all, I think, is that only 12% of children's pastors across the country have a biblical worldview. So another way of saying that is that seven out of eight children's pastors do not have a biblical worldview. So you kind of tremble when you think about 
what must they be teaching what's happening for those kids that are going there week after week yeah and you know the the millennial generation is so weak in their biblical worldview and yet i've heard you say in other conferences that the millennial generation is that primary parenting generation that's influencing the age when children can develop a biblical worldview. Where does that start and where is it pretty much developed by? Well, one of the most fascinating things about worldview is that everybody has one. You need one to get through life because it's your primary decision-making filter. So every decision that you make, every moment of your life, comes through your worldview filter. So that means that people actually start developing their worldview at 15 to 18 months of age. And by the age of 13, in most cases, it's completely developed. And so what happens during the teenage years, maybe your mid to late 20s, is that you start refining that worldview, trying to figure out how to apply that worldview in all cases. In your 30s, 40s, 50s, that's when you're trying to get other people to embrace your worldview. In your 60s and beyond, you're trying to look back and say, hmm, did I get it right? But that means that what we do with children, young children, is the most important period in terms of their worldview development. And what's troubling there is that we find out that parents, by and large, do not have a plan for this. It's not on their agenda. They're not measuring it. Essentially, what they're doing is they're letting it develop by default. They're letting other people develop their child's worldview. And that's where it starts getting really scary. Because a child will develop a worldview. <laughs> and it can be by design or by default. And then it's just the values of the culture are going to shape them. Well, and that's exactly what we're finding, because when we looked at what influences the worldview of young people the most, there were six dominant influences, and by far the biggest of them were the arts and entertainment industry. So that means that all the time that they're watching movies, listening to music on social media apps and, and sites, uh, any kind of media is sending worldview messages to children, to everybody really, but children are, are really attentive to these things because they're in that process of trying to figure out how life works. So the media have incredible impact. Parents used to have a large impact. They still have significant impact, but not to the same degree they used to. And part of the reason we discovered this past year in some of our studies with parents is because Children are searching everywhere for clues of how things work. What's the best approach to take? What should they believe? And what they believe matters hugely because you do what you believe. Right. So their lifestyle is a result of their beliefs. And so they're watching their parents as role models. They're listening to their parents as teachers. And they have a natural tendency to trust their parents but in this study over the last year, what we found is that children are losing that trust. A, a majority of them have already lost their trust for their parents in terms of their worldview because they listen to what their parents say and then they watch what their parents do and they're seeing contradictions. Parents aren't following through on what they say. And the way that the child interprets that, given their objective, which is to figure out 
what am I going to do? How does life work? They're watching their parents enmeshed in these contradictions. And their conclusion is, hmm, I guess my parents don't have it figured out either. So I better not try to get my worldview from them because they're still working through it as well. And that's why media is so attractive to them because it comes in a neatly packaged 30-minute, 60-minute, two-hour worldview segment where they're given all kinds of answers that they can't get elsewhere. So the media is very attractive in that regard. And, and when they, say, watch a movie and things like this, those actors are living out that false worldview, so they see a consistency. Right. I, I've always said that you know, we influence a child by our content, what we say, our communication, how we say it, and our conduct, how we live. And they look through our conduct and communication to get to the content. And if they don't match, they reject the content and model the conduct. And that's sort of what you find in your, in your research. Yeah, very much. And, and part of the reason why parents have these contradictions is that as we've done the national research, we've discovered that people don't typically embrace a particular, comprehensive, coherent worldview. You know, Marxism, secular humanism, postmodernism, Eastern mysticism, biblical theism, the biblical worldview. Instead, what people do is they look at all of these things and they start picking and choosing the elements of each that they like. So they don't buy any particular worldview lock, stock, and barrel. They're just taking elements from it, combining it with elements from these other worldviews. And when they put it together, that's where the contradictions come in because it doesn't make sense. You know, They're adding words from different languages and then trying to speak it. Nobody understands what they're saying because it's a mishmash. And so the name for that is syncretism. Right. And that's what most Americans are right now. 94% of American adults are syncretists. And it's even worse with our young people. When we look at teenagers, when we look at adolescents, our testing is indicating that you're closer to 98 to 99% of them who have embraced that same approach of syncretism. I'll take a little bit from here, a little bit from there, combine it all together, and I feel good even though it doesn't make sense, even though it's not true, even though it's not good for me, even though it offends God, none of that is in their equation. All they're worried about, does it make me happy? Does it make me popular? Am I getting ahead with this? I'm going to live with it. And that's exactly what Christian Smith found in his with the moralistic therapeutic deism. And I was intrigued when he even said that what young people look at God they say, okay, God, I don't want you in my life that much unless I have a problem and you come and fix it and make me feel good like a cosmic butler. Yeah, if I really need you, you got to be there. Yeah. But otherwise, just let me go on and do my stuff. I'm fine. And so that, that's the way that they're living. And of course, they're a great example, you know, those who have uh, the MTD philosophy of, I know that the Bible exists. I know that it has some good information but I'm only going to turn to it when it has something that makes me feel good, something that I think is going to be very helpful, and it kind of fits with where I was going anyway. They're not looking to the Bible to give them instruction or guidance. They're just looking for support for pretty much what they've already chosen. Yeah, I did a survey with some high school students in, in a Christian school and uh, found that they all say they want to 
get closer to God. But when I ask them, how often do they read the Bible? Very seldom. And, and so how do you, I tell them, how do you, you can't know God if you don't know his word, because that's how he reveals himself. So, you know, when you think of uh, parents, the millennials, here they have such a low percentage of a biblical worldview, and they're the major primary parenting generation. In Christian schools, I'm finding that the millennial generation is becoming the primary teaching uh, generation. And they come to Christian schools, they love Jesus, they really want to impact lives, but they don't have a biblical worldview. Would you agree? Oh, no doubt about it. And, and the hard part there is that even if you have somebody with the best of intentions and they're willing to do the work to develop a biblical worldview as an adult, it doesn't happen very often. But if you have somebody who's willing to do that, it doesn't happen overnight. And so they've got twice the difficulty that a child has. A child is, is basically new territory. And so they're bringing in new information and figuring out what to do with it. They're building a brand new thing. An adult already has an existing worldview. They've lived with it for years in most cases. And so they have a set of behaviors and habits and patterns that are built on that belief system. If they're now going to shift belief systems, first thing they've got to do is jackhammer out the old one. That's hard work. In fact, most of the time, we don't even know what we believe. We don't think about that. We don't reflect. Americans aren't reflective people. We're active people. We like to take action. And so changing the worldview is difficult. You've got to get rid of the old and then replace it with the new and then figure out what the concurrent behaviors would be that go with that whole new belief system. That's a lot of work. You know, that that's really what second corinthians 10 is all about you've got yeah. to pull down all the false ideas yeah. and speculations and take those thoughts captive and say does it line up with god's word and if it doesn't you've got to punish it as disobedience and that's tough and what i find is when i would take a false idea that i had and and see what the scripture says oh that's wrong and i would change my thinking on that it uncovered 10 other right, things right. I was thinking wrong. Yeah, and, 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 and we don't like to do that. You know, we, we, that's such hard work. And we think, well, what role does it play where most Christians, because they do love the Lord, they have, you know, confessed their sins and repented of their sins and trusted in the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Do they really think that they have a biblical worldview? Oh, yeah. The a large majority of people who attend churches think that they do. But, but there's also a difference here, one, that, one that's maybe subtle to some people. And, and it's that most people say they have a Christian worldview. Now, Christian worldview is actually different in the minds of people and certainly in reality from a biblical worldview. When Americans say they have a Christian worldview, to them the term Christian means good person. And so if they say they have a Christian worldview, what they're basically telling you is, you know what, I'm a good person. I try to do the right thing. But then when you dig deeper, you find out how they determine the quote-unquote right thing is based on their feelings, yep. based on how well it serves their needs, as opposed to there being any absolute moral truths or truth principles 
that we can get from, say, the Bible. And that would be what determines what makes us somebody with a biblical worldview. It's not based on my feelings, my experiences, my desires. It's based on God's Word. That's what a biblical worldview is. When I was at Lifeway, of course, it's a publishing agency, and uh, when people would bring uh, manuscripts to me in my section of Christian school and homeschool, they would talk about a Christian environment or a Christian perspective, and I, I would send it back and I'd say, I want you to take all the adjectives that say Christian and change it to biblical because Christian has become so subjective. Yeah. And, and so, but they would come back and they'd say, well, you know, I don't have a verse to go with this, so it's not really biblical, but it is Christian. And I'm saying, wait a minute. There, there's a disconnect there. It, <laughs> if it can't be biblical, it, it, it can't yeah. be Christian. Right. And, yeah. and so uh, I, I found that so perplexing because I, I was a stickler with that because I wanted everything to be taken out of the subjective and brought to the objective standard of when you say biblical, you're saying God's word is the standard. And uh, I think that's my whole philosophy of education. It's not a Christian philosophy of education. It's a biblical philosophy right. of education. Yeah. So when you see all of this, I know at this conference, we're addressing Christian school leaders and there's some pastors and board members here. Christian schools may be the last hope. Yeah, what I'm suggesting is that, I mean, this is really a time where God almost has to rely on the remnant. And that's not unusual. I mean, obviously, if you read the Bible throughout human history, that's how God gets stuff done. He finds a relative handful of people who are completely sold out to his ways and are willing to do whatever he calls them to do in his ways. And he gets it done because we don't do these things on our power. Right. We do them on the basis of his power. So on the one hand, that's not too frightening. But on the other hand, when you look at the numbers of people that God can call on. I mean, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. He can do it. But yeah, I mean, we're we're in a situation where Christian schools are going to have to step up and come to the realization that they're not in the job so much of educating kids to be scholars, to go to prestigious schools, to get academic awards, to do well on the SATs and other standardized tests. What they're in business to do is build disciples. Now, they're supposed to be taking the lead from the parents, but if the parents aren't doing it, they may have to step up their game a bit and fill in a lot of the gaps that are existing. But that's a critical reality here is, first of all, for Christian schools to recognize what, what their mission is. And it's not really an educational mission. I'm not against education. That's important. It's good to do. You want to do it with excellence because you're serving the Lord in that as well. However, the end game of the education is that you're building a disciple who's well-educated, who can go out and compete in the world for the glory of God, who can advance the kingdom because he or she now has that education, but they've got the heart, the mind, and the soul of a spiritual warrior. That's what's driving them in the marketplace, not the fact that they got a degree from a big fancy university. So, you know, getting these things lined up in our heads is really important because the world will do everything it can to distort our perspective about why we're here. Parents who don't have a biblical worldview and aren't thinking about their child as a disciple, they're thinking about, 
well, I want little Johnny to be around nice kids, and I want him to be in a safe environment, and I'd like him to hear some Christian-y things. You know, that's why he's at a Christian school. No, no, no. You have to understand from square one as a parent, we're counting on you working with us to help build Johnny up into a true disciple of Jesus. And so in the end, the way that we measure our success as a church, as a school is whether or not we've grown your child to be a disciple of Jesus. Is he thinking like Jesus so that he can act like Jesus? Amen. And, and I even tell uh, Christian school leaders, guess what? You can't make a disciple if you're not a disciple. And I believe schools, my emphasis through Kingdom Education Ministries, is helping to really disciple board members, administrators, uh, and uh, Christian school teachers so that we can be the disciples who can make disciples. Well, thank you for being on uh, the program today, and I, I'm excited. Tell us about this new book that's coming out, uh, and what's the focus that that is going to have? Yeah, around uh, Labor Day of this year, a book called Raising Spiritual Champions will come out. And that's essentially looking at all of our research about what it takes to disciple a child. You know, what's going on in the lives of young kids, what's going on in their families, what's going on in their churches, what's happening in the culture that's affecting them. What can those of us who are disciples do to help raise these young ones up to be the group that comes in after us? They are the disciples who will carry the church into the future. But there are certain things that we've learned from the research about how do you disciple a child? What does it take? What kind of foundation do you need to lay in a child's mind and heart to prepare them to continue to grow as a disciple? So that's that's what that book is all about. I, it'll be one of the most important things I've ever done, and I hope people you know, find it to be useful. Well, I, I'm looking forward to it. I will have it, and I will <laughs> read it. And uh, now, if, if they want more resources, you're doing so much at the Cultural Research Center. I've been there at Arizona Christian and, and talked with the people. It's exciting. How, where do they go? How do they find information? Because everybody, everybody does it on the Internet. So. Yeah, well, it's true. And uh, so we're putting everything on the Internet. If they go to our website at culturalresearchcenter.com, most of what we do we put out for free. And so there's an enormous amount of information there, different reports that can be downloaded. Uh, the books that we're putting out are also uh, described on that website. People can buy those books through Amazon and so forth. So, you know, and if there's anything else they need, they're welcome to contact us and we'll do what we can to help. Well, thank you again for being with us. And I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to Kingdom Currents. If you have any questions or comments about today's program, you can email me at Glenn, that's Glenn with one N, G-L-E-N, at kingdomeducation.org. And for more information on Kingdom Education Ministries and our resources, visit the website kingdomeducationministries.com. So until next time, have a blessed day and build disciples for Jesus Christ. Hey, 
I'm Alex Overall, media developer for Northwest Christian School, and I'm here to tell you about NCS's new Biblical Worldview online courses available to all high school students for transcript credit, regardless of whether they attend public school, private school, or homeschool. Frameworks is an exciting new initiative utilizing the learning management system of Grand Canyon University. For more information, visit BibleClassesForPublicSchools.com. 